Wilson. And this game is underway with a bang. This is where the lacrosse area gathers to talk Wisconsin sports. The Wisco Sports Show is on the air. Join in by phone or text at 796-2558. Now, here's Grant Bills. 2020 is such a terrible year. It feels like when we finally get some optimism and we get some good news, we immediately get some bad news. 2020 is what this is the best way to describe it. 2020 is the year of one step forward, two steps back. Like if that expression was a year, it would be 2020. So we start to get baseball back. We watched a Brewers scrimmage yesterday, starting to look forward to opening day. That's great. That's good news. And then the NFL starts fighting about money. That's bad news. That's what we want to avoid. That's what baseball did for months. Right? The Nets signed Michael Beasley to a contract, which might be, seriously, the best news of 2020. For me. I don't know how you feel about Michael Beasley, but I love Michael Beasley. That's going to be a blast. That's the best news of the year. And as soon as that news drops, then we get bad news. The Big Ten announced today that they're going to cancel conference play. Good news being met with bad news. One step forward. Two steps back. That's 2020 in a nutshell. This is the Wisco Sports Show. My name is Grant Bills. I hope you're doing well. We got some thunderstorms. We got some nasty weather in the area. So be aware, I guess. I'm not going to talk to you about the weather for five minutes, but I can hear the thunder in the WK2I studio. Studio has no windows. It's like I'm in a bunker in here. So be aware. Uh, Maybe we'll have some emergency alerts going on during the show. So we'll keep you updated uh, the best we can. We have kind of a an awesome mess of a show today. We're going to cover a bunch of different things. We're going to start with college sports because that's the news of the day. The Big Ten canceling their non-conference schedule. But I also want to talk about the NFL, the NBA. We're going to talk Bucks basketball with Bucks Film Room. Brian Sampson, the analytics sabermetrics wizard who writes for uh, Forbes and uh, also lives right here in Lacrosse. We like having a, a homegrown show. Bart Winkler, Justin Garcia, Brian Sampson. We get a lot of Bucks guests that are uh, that are from the area. So we'll talk to him coming up at 530 but we do got to start with the news of the day. That's the Big Ten canceling the non-conference portion of their schedule. And I did a Facebook Live earlier this afternoon just to kind of say a couple of things and, and to talk to some of our listeners and followers on Facebook. Yesterday, Stanford and the Ivy League announced some cuts and some cancellations. Stanford said they were cutting 11 varsity sports to save money. They were looking at about a $70 million deficit in 2020-2021, which even for Stanford is a ton of money. And the Ivy League announced that they're not going to do fall sports. They're not postponing. They're not moving them back. They're they're not going to do them. In fact, the Ivy League, Harvard, Yale, Columbia, Princeton, they're not even going to do sports until 2021. They're not going to hear it until January 1st. Now, Stanford and the Ivy League, they're, they're exceptions. Stanford has as many sports as possible, and they put a lot of money and effort into those sports because Stanford's thing is winning as many national titles as possible, not just in football and in basketball and volleyball and hockey, but in equestrian and sailing and rowing and fencing. So Stanford in a year like this might have a bit more excess than other colleges because they're designed a little bit differently. Their athletic department has different priorities than a lot of other schools like in Alabama who they're all in on football and we'll see about everything else. The Ivy League, unlike the Big Ten or the Pac-12 or the SEC and ACC especially, at least the ACC in the case of Clemson, they're not as reliant on sports for income. They're a lot more financially stable. The Ivy League, people don't go to Harvard to go to the football games. It's a nice plus, as it is at at any college. But people are going to continue to go to Ivy League schools, whether there's football played or not. Clemson? Eh, I don't know. You might have some 
incoming students change their mind a little bit. I used the example yesterday to, to use an example on a smaller scale. UWL would be fine without sports. There's a lot of reasons to go to UWL. There's a great downtown scene. There's great outdoor recreation opportunities in the city of La Crosse and the surrounding area. There's the river. And there's great academic opportunities as well. Now, sports and the WIAC is great sports, but UWL wouldn't crumble if there were no sports. There's smaller colleges, Carroll, for example, in Waukesha. Like, if, if, if football goes away, that's like a third of their student population. They require football to fill classrooms. Not the case in the Ivy League, which is why they, they were probably the first to cancel football and fall sports. Now, I didn't feel great about it yesterday. I had my fingers crossed, and I was hoping that the Ivy League and Stanford wasn't the first domino to fall. But that tended out to be the case because it didn't even take 24 hours, and the Big Ten has started to follow suit. The Big Ten announced today that they're canceling their non-conference schedule. It was first reported by Nicole Arbach of The Athletic, and then the Big Ten putting out a statement uh, later this afternoon at about 4 o'clock. Well, 3 o'clock Eastern, uh, 4 o'clock, oh no, 4 o'clock Eastern, 3 o'clock our time. There we go. <laughs> Here's the announcement. The Big Ten Conference announced today that if the conference is able to participate in fall sports, men and women's cross-country, field hockey, football, soccer, volleyball, based on medical advice, it will move to conference-only schedules in those sports. Details for these sports will be released at a later date. Well, decisions on sports not listed above will continue to be reevaluated. By limiting competition to other Big Ten institutions, the conference will have the greatest flexibility to adjust its own operations throughout the season and make quick decisions in real time based on the most current evolving medical advice and the fluid nature of the pandemic. Big Ten announcing the ACC looks like it's going to do the same thing. We've That's been announced and reported over the course of the afternoon as well. The statement concluded by saying, as we continue to focus on how to play this season in a safe and responsible way, based on the best advice of the medical experts, we are also prepared to not play in order to ensure the health, safety, and wellness of our student-athletes should the circumstances dictate. This is grim. This is not promising that there will be sports this fall. And this is no surprise. It's still unfortunate, and it's still a bummer, but we've talked about this for weeks. College college sports are going to have a tough time. Right? You can You can isolate the NBA in a bubble. You can ask Major League Baseball players for 60 games to protect themselves. College students? Got to go to class. Live in apartment buildings. Got a social life. There are parties. There are bars. College sports are going to have a tough time. So this shouldn't be a surprise to us. Doing away with the conference schedule. Big Ten first. The ACC looks like it's going to do the same thing. We'll see with the SEC, Pac-12, Big 12, everybody else. COVID isn't just going to magically go away when the conference schedule starts. Right, like That's something we need to accept. That's something we need to understand and admit. The Badgers are set to begin their season on September 4th against Indiana. But then they have Southern Illinois, Appalachian State, and then they have Michigan, and then they have Notre Dame. So the beginning of their conference and non-conference schedules are intertwined this year, which is a little bit of an outlier in comparison to last year and a couple of years. I reached out to some friends that we have in Madison who would know, and they seem to think that they're just going to move those games back. Right, they're just going to move the Indiana game back to where the conference season would normally start if it weren't this year. And there's obviously some extra details. The Notre Dame, Dame uh, the Notre Dame game was scheduled to be played at Lambeau Field. That's going to complicate things. But essentially, what's going to happen? They're going to drop Southern Illinois and Appalachian State and Notre Dame, and they're going to scoot Indiana and Michigan up to where the beginning of the conference season would normally be. But we have to realize that COVID is is not. It's not dictated by playing Notre Dame versus Michigan or Southern Illinois versus Indiana. A football game is a football game no matter what, no matter what conference 
the teams are from. We need to realize that COVID isn't going to magically go away in the course of three weeks. This is a time-buying strategy by the Big Ten. This doesn't solve any problem. It just buys more time. Maybe the Big Ten can come up with a solution. The solution is probably going to require routine testing, which is expensive, very expensive. And colleges don't exactly have a surplus of cash right now. All of these universities already missed out on March Madness. They're looking at missing out on Southern Illinois, for example. That's a huge part of their income for the year is playing the Badgers. And they're not going to have that anymore. The Badgers' big part of their income is from March Madness. They didn't get it. It's not like these teams have boatloads of cash and these athletic departments have huge reserves of money to be spending on routine testing. And they don't have huge TV deals like the NBA and the NFL does. They have money to spend on testing to make sure that they can bring in their TV deal money. Colleges are a little bit different. This is a time-buying strategy. This doesn't solve any problem. It just buys time. And reading the statement and the responses to members of athletic departments, like, cancellation is very much on the table. Very much so. It was clear in the Big Ten statement. The statement put out by... uh, by the athletic department in Nebraska, I think this makes it very clear that cancellation is a very real threat. This is a statement. We are pleased that the Big Ten is planning to move forward with fall sports. The conference has determined a path that helps to mitigate risk and will allow Husker student-athletes to compete on the field and in the arena. Think about that. The chancellor of the University of Nebraska is saying, thank God the Big Ten is deciding to play. Like You can tell cancellation is a very real threat and a very real option. Athletic departments, chancellors, ADs, they realize this. That statement was made very clear by the Big Ten and by some words that were put out by the department in uh, the athletic department in Nebraska. Very real option to be canceled. And it, and it still could happen. In fact, I think it probably will. People I've talked to at our sister station in the zone in Madison believe that that's probably the direction this is headed without some drastic change. This is only the first step. Whether they end up canceling, whether they end up playing, this is only the first step. There's going to have to be changes that are made, tweaks that are made. This is only the first step. No matter if there's football or not, this is only the first step. Because if they're going to play football, they're going to need to make changes. If they need to cancel, they will obviously need to cancel. This is only the first step. The first shot in in what's probably going to be a barrage of news and, and statements and leaks and reports over the next couple of years. Next couple of months, excuse me. Ultimately, I don't think college football is going to happen. People I've talked to seem to agree. We keep saying things, like, you hear this on the news, you hear this from parents, and from everybody saying things like, kids need to be back in school this fall. Like, it's not an option. Kids, need, We got to get kids back in school. Look, I agree. Having kids out of school for this long is is. Terrible. It's very unfair to those who are less privileged, who don't have access to internet and a nice computer. We need kids back in school. Agreed. But the world doesn't operate like LeVar Ball. Just because we repeat it doesn't mean it's going to happen. Right? Donald Trump seems to think the more that he says, we got to have schools open, we got to have schools open, we got to have schools open. COVID's going to go away. COVID's going to go away. COVID's going to go away. Just because you keep saying it doesn't mean it's going to happen. I want kids back in school more than anything. I want college sports to be played, high school sports to be played more than anything. But just because we keep saying doesn't mean it's going to happen. We need to start to accept the reality that college football is very much in danger this fall and kids being in school is very much in danger. In fact, like prepare for the reality that there ain't going to be college football this fall. And prepare, prepare for the reality that kids, even if they are going to school, it's going to look very different. Prepare yourself because we can repeat and repeat and repeat and repeat. Oh God, kids got to be back in school. I, I agree. 
But just because you say it doesn't mean it's going to happen. Just because you say we got to get kids back on college campuses. That's great. I agree. But that doesn't mean it's going to happen. And I would also, also caution you against hoping for spring football. Well, it's okay. Cancel college football and, and we'll just move it to the spring. That ain't, no, that ain't going to work. That ain't going to work. Mostly because I'm becoming hesitant to believe that things will be under control in the spring. They're not under control now. I mean, like, do you really think this is going to get much better in the next month, two, three? Nobody in our country cares about coronavirus. Nobody in government cares. We're talking about different things. We move past this. We move past this. Why should I believe this will be better in two months or believe it will be better even in the spring? Logistically, it won't work with the NFL and with the draft and with spring football. What are you going to have? You're going to have college athletes play a season in March and then again in the fall. And how does that coincide with college basketball? It's a mess. Prepare yourself for the reality that there will be no college football this fall. And there's a great chance that even if kids are back in school, college, high school, middle school, it's, it's going to look different. Kids need to be back in school. I agree. We need to get playing sports. I agree. But just because we keep saying it doesn't mean it's going to happen. There's a huge portion of our country that has just stopped caring about this. There's a huge portion of our government that's just stopped caring. And until that changes, this is going to be the norm. We've accepted this. We have accepted this as the new norm. We're the only country on this planet, by and large. And, and I say only country, I say this. I, we're one of the few developed countries on this earth that is resigned to the reality that our life is simply going to suck until there's a vaccine. Right? What did they do in Italy or in New Zealand or in any other European country? They, they didn't say, well, we got to wait for a vaccine. No, they, they bucked up and they dealt with it. Our country's not dealt with it. And this will be the reality until either everyone gets it or somebody does something. Right now, nobody's doing anything. I want to continue to talk about this, college football, the NFL, and we're eventually going to get to basketball as well today. We're going to talk to Brian Sampson, Bucks Film Room of Forms.com, coming up at 5.30. More of the Wisco Sports Show coming up next. Wisco Sports Show here on WKTY. We're talking about the big news of the day. Big Ten canceling their non-conference portion of their schedule. And in the case of the Badgers, it's going to be a little tricky because they don't have a typical non-conference into conference linear schedule this year. They actually start with Indiana. So they start with a Big Ten game, and then they go Southern Illinois, then Appalachian State, then Michigan, then Notre Dame. So they actually start with a conference game, play two non play another conference game, and then play another non-conference game. So what they're probably going to do is drop the non-conference games and then push Indiana and Michigan down to where the conference season would normally start if things were played in a normal order, if that makes sense. They got some things to slide around, and that's if you believe that conference play is actually going to be able to happen. Uh, (laughs) Pratik, who does work on ESPN in Green Bay and ESPN in Milwaukee, had a pretty funny tweet today, and I think this... Puts it into good context. When it was announced the Big Ten was getting rid of uh, non-conference play, he quoted this tweet and said, smart move, everybody knows COVID can only be transmitted across conferences. Exactly. The the idea that COVID will now all of a sudden be under control when the Badgers play Michigan instead of Notre Dame is is just incorrect. It's not factual. Like, the disease will still be there, and it'll still infect us the same, no matter if the, the opponent is from the MAC, or what, the Northern Sky, or the Big Ten. It, it, it doesn't matter. All this is is a time-buying strategy for the Big Ten to figure out what they actually want to do this year. They're like, okay, we can live without non-conference. Let's figure out how to save as much of the season as possible, if it's possible. I don't think college football is going to get played because the reality is, is 
going to be really difficult to swallow for athletic departments. They're already strapped for cash. They went without March Madness. They're looking at they're looking at not having people in the stands, which is going to not not exactly save them money. It's going to lose them more money. And the only way to play sports right now, either the way the NBA or Major League Baseball is doing it, is to test these guys every day. They have to test athletes every day. Not just football and basketball, but cross-country, track, everybody. It's a lot of tests. That's a lot of money. And it's money that I don't I don't think athletic departments have right now. Now, maybe they go to their donors. Maybe they work something out. But it's a tough road to hoe for college sports to be played this fall, especially football, which is a little bit more of a contact sport. Like cross-country, I think they could pull it off. Might be able to pull off track in the spring. I know that's a spring sport. Although, although... Indoor track really starts in like November, so it's more of a winter, late fall sport than, than we'd like to think, at least at the college level. What I'm interested to see is how they handle eligibility. In the case that this season is canceled, how are they going to deal with eligibility? Because it was handled so poorly this spring with basketball. The Big Ten essentially said, uh, thanks, uh, but no thanks. We're not going to give you an extra year. Tough luck. There's no way they can do that this fall. There's no. I, I understand that they have more scholarship players coming in in the fall, so you gotta you gotta balance like typically when you add scholarship players, you are graduating scholarship players, but but they're gonna have to do something to make it work, unlike they did in the spring. I, I'm so sick of the NCAA and others, Major League Baseball as well, trying to operate like everything is normal right now. Things are not normal. This is an exceptional year, so you have to make exceptions. I thought Major League Baseball scheduled as though it was a normal year. It's not a normal year. Why are we going to Detroit to play two games? That's not worth anyone's travel. That's not worth anyone's time. If the Brewers are going to Detroit, make it worth their while. Have them play three, four, five games. We're not doing two games at home, two games away. That's just traveling for traveling's sake. And normally that's fine. But in the case of 2020 and a pandemic, that's that's not fine. We can't do that. Major League Baseball tried to schedule things as if they were scheduling in a normal year. The NCAA cannot handle eligibility as if it was a normal year. I think of my guy, Mason Stocky, who I went to high school with, plays for the Badgers now. He's now settled as a fullback. He graduated in 2016 and really hadn't broken through and found his role on the team until last year, which would technically be his senior season, his fourth year. Although with red shirting and, and medical exceptions, he, he has more eligibility. He was going to play this fall and probably be in line to be their number one fullback and get a lot of carries, get touches, be a contributing part of the team. And it took him three years to figure it out. He started as a linebacker, moved to fullback, was in a little bit of a a, a a platoon with the Chanel brothers, and then they're like, okay, this guy's got hands, this guy can block, we're going to use him. And he was great, and he didn't come on last year until the Minnesota game and into the Rose Bowl. So what are you going to tell him? Sorry, I know you toiled away and you injured yourself and you had surgery for four straight years, and just as you were starting to figure it out, I understand the pandemic hit, but sorry, we can't give you another year of eligibility. It can't work that way. It cannot. The NCAA cannot treat eligibility in 2020 like they would treat it any other year. They ju- they just can't. And to be fair, they're normally jerks about it anyways, but they 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 can't be jerks about it this year. They can't. Major League Baseball did their schedule as though it's a normal year, which was a mistake. And I think it might backfire because there's a lot of unnecessary travel. The NCAA cannot handle eligibility this season like they would handle it in any other. And if that if that means it's going to cost Boosters in the athletic department a little bit more to absorb what ten or twelve extra scholarship players. Fine, that's what you do because you got to do right by your players who are also missing out on a classroom experience and also missing out on traditional graduations. They're missing out on everything, and you're going to tell them to you're going to tell them to go off themselves because they because a pandemic hit. How's that fair? There are players who toil and struggle. Mason was an example. My high school classmate who graduated in 2016. 
hurt his knee, hurt his head, hurt everything. Three years in, finally figures out his position. Then he starts to practice in that position. Finally gets good, finally gets a role for the last three years last year, looking like he's going to be a great fullback this fall, and then the pandemic hits. You're going to tell that guy that he's SOL? Can't do that. I don't know the NCAA is, like, they're jerks normally, but they can't be jerks this year. They, they gotta fi- They got to find a way to figure it out. They have to find a way to figure it out. I want to talk NBA basketball because college football is the news of the day, but it's definitely the negative news of the day. Starting to get excited for the return of the NBA and return of baseball. I hope both will go well. I think both have a great shot to pan out. I'm I'm becoming more positive about baseball, and that's something I want to cover with our guest that's coming up here in a few minutes, Brian Sampson. Uh, You might know him as Bucks Film Room on Twitter. He covers the Bucks using sabermetrics, using analytics, using the numbers. He's a smart guy, and he writes for Forbes.com. We'll talk Bucks and the return of the NBA with him coming up next on the Wisco Sports Show. Wisco Sports Show rolls on. My name is Grant Bills. I'm your host. Thanks for hanging out. We're going to continue to talk about college football coming up here in about 15 minutes. News of the day, the Big Ten canceling their non-conference schedule. Look, that's only the first step. Whether they end up playing or not, I'm... Right now, I'm thinking they're probably not going to. There is another announcement coming. There are changes coming. This is just a time-buying strategy, right? Canceling non-conference, it's not a solution. It's just a strategy to buy some time, and and we'll see where the Big Ten goes next. We'll continue to talk about that in about 15 minutes. Right now, I want to focus on something a little bit more positive. I don't know if you can call it good news, because basketball still has to go into a bubble, and there's a lot that has to be ironed out. But let's talk about a sport that's actually going on. And that's the NBA, the Milwaukee Bucks, who are, remember, the one seed. They're trying to win a championship. Brian Sampson, Bucks Film Room. You might know him better as Bucks Film Room on Twitter. He writes for Brew Hoop and for Forbes, using stats, using analytics. He's a smart guy, right, which I appreciate because so many NBA fans are dumb. They get their info from Twitter, and that's all they see. So, Brian, I appreciate having you, and I appreciate you coming on. Not having the NBA playoffs and having the season postponed uh, sucked. The NBA playoffs are my favorite thing. I look forward to them all year, and it's a bummer to just not have nothing but basketball on for a couple of weeks. How have you been handling uh, handling the last couple of months? You watch every Bucks games twice, right? You haven't you haven't been able to watch them once. How you been holding up? Yeah, it's been a long, almost four months now, just trying to figure out. You know, you got to keep on writing and doing stuff about the Bucks. So just trying to figure out, you know, learn new things. So. Hanging in there, I'm glad that basketball is about to start back up here in a couple of weeks again. Yeah, it'll just be nice to have content. Like I, like, I only have to fill an hour every day, and there's normally enough news. I don't think, you ask my listeners, I think most of the things we talk about on the show have been pretty pertinent. I don't think there's been a lot of fluff. I only have to fill an hour. If I had to write columns, if I had to write research pieces, it would it would be really tough the last couple of weeks. Part of the reason why I'm excited to have you on is because I think we can clear up a couple misconceptions, Brian. I, I think using numbers, we can dispel some... Some misconceptions and some confusion around a couple of Bucks players. I, I love Giannis. I, I think he'll be back healthy. He normally has an ankle sprain or a, a little ankle tweak every spring. Hopefully this year, he won't have to deal with that because he's had a couple of months to rest before the postseason. Hopefully he'll be able to be as physical as ever. I want to talk about Chris Middleton. And I don't know where this narrative started. If it started with Bucks fans or if it started on ESPN or wherever. There's this narrative that Chris Middleton is a bad player in the postseason. And I don't know if he's just the 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 boy to blame for Giannis not making a finals, but like the numbers would indicate that he's actually really, really good in the playoffs. Can we talk about that a little bit? Cause his shooting numbers in the postseason are fantastic. Yeah. Chris Middleton, you know, he, he, two years ago in the postseason, he was on fire. He made, I think like over 60% of his threes against the Celtics. And 
Milwaukee, they were a lower seed and they pushed Boston to seven games in that series. And they wouldn't have really done much of anything if it weren't for Chris Middleton. He really, you know, just went off from downtown. He had a, a number of games where he was just unconscious. He had a really deep uh, three-pointer against the Celtics in that series to force the game to overtime. And mm-hmm. and so really that was a couple of years, that was two years ago now. And so he's, you know, Last year, he had ups and downs for sure. You know, he had really a good series against the Pistons in the first round. Again, he was incredible against the Celtics in the semifinals. But then he struggled a little bit against the Raptors. And, I mean, who didn't? The Raptors, they were probably had one, they had one of the best defensive runs of any postseason team. You know, they just have so many good guys defensively when you're talking about Kawhi Leonard, Kyle Lowry, Pascal Siakam, Marcus Saul. And so, yeah. Middleton did struggle a little bit against them, um, but who didn't? You know, they were just such a great defensive team. So I think that might be where a little bit of that narrative comes from is he, he had a little bit of a down series against the Raptors in the Eastern Conference Finals last year when the Bucks really needed him more than ever. It's funny because when I listen to I, – I watch Cowherd. I'm entertained by him. I don't agree with everything he says, but I, I like sports radio and sports TV. I like hearing how some of these talking heads create their takes. And it's funny because – Anytime the Bucks raptors series comes up from last year, like Kawhi locked down a different player. It's like if we're talking about Giannis. Oh, Kawhi really locked down Giannis last year. And then if Middleton comes up, it's like, oh, remember in the postseason, Kawhi locked down Middleton. It's like, well, he, was he covering everyone? Like, it's, it's funny how we remember that Raptors series last year. What has Budenholzer done in 2020? Because Middleton's numbers have been even better. He's been more efficient. What are the little changes, Ben, that the Bucks have made to make Middleton that much more effective this year versus last? Yeah, so the biggest thing is bringing in Wes Matthews. I think that's something that not a lot of fans maybe notice or pick up on. Mm-hmm. Um, and I think Wes Matthews has been huge because last year and in the past, Chris Milton has been their best wing defender and then their second best scorer. So he's really had a, he's had a full plate as far as trying to limit a guy like Kawhi Leonard. You know, last year in the Eastern Conference Finals, Chris Middleton was the primary defender on Kawhi Leonard, and then he was asked to go and, you know, carry the load when Giannis was on the bench. And, you know, even when Giannis was on the court, he was asked to be that second scoring option. And so I think this year the addition of Wes Matthews has been huge for the Bucks because now Wes has taken on that primary wing defender role. You know, if the Bucks. Uh, play the Clippers this year in the playoffs, it'll be Wes Matthews guarding Kawhi Leonard and not Chris Middleton. So I think that's been one one aspect that's been huge for Middleton. And I, I really think he's going to thrive in the playoffs just like he has this regular season because he doesn't need to expend as much energy on defense. He can focus on offense. And the second thing that I think has been huge is last year, Middleton and Budenholzer, they butted heads a little bit as far as the scheme. You know, Budenholzer came in and and brought this analytics offense to the Bucks as far as focusing on threes and layups. And, well, that was fine and dandy for most players. You know, Middleton, he's an excellent mid-range scorer, and so he, he really struggled. I mean, fans forget, but last December, December 2018, he was benched against the Knicks for fourth quarter and overtime because, you know, he was really struggling with, with that new role. And so this year, before the season, him and Budenholzer really got together and, and came to an agreement that they both will they'll give a little bit of meat more in the middle, and it's resulted in Middleton just thriving from the mid-range. You know, he's one of the best mid-range shooters this year in the NBA, and so I think that's another thing is he'll be able to do that in the postseason where last year he's still, you know, taking most of his shots from behind the arc. So I think that'll be a change for him as well. Well, a lot of teams are going to that free throw 
three-pointer only type of offense. The, the, the Rockets have been doing it, right? I think the Raptors, to some extent, last year did it as well. But what made the Raptors so good last year and what I think can make the Bucks so good this year is they can shoot the threes and the layups. They're very good at both. But then they have that weapon. As the Raptors had Kawhi last year, Chris Middleton can be a weapon in this the same sense where he can free-range a little bit. He can freestyle, and it's really hard to defend a good mid-range shooter. Because Middleton can get to his spot, and like he can have a hand in his face. Like The defense can be perfect, but if you have a good mid-range shooter, sometimes the defense doesn't matter. Kevin Durant is a perfect example. I'm hoping we see Chris Middleton play that role in the postseason. I think it can just make them that much better, even better than they were last year. Bucks Film Room, Brian Sampson, uh, BrewHoopForbes.com, joining us now on the five-star telecom talking text line. Brian, th- this is a tough topic because I-, I don't want to admit it. I'm in denial about it, and I think a lot of Bucks fans are. The smart Bucks fans are in denial. We've all talked about George Hill as well. He's the best three-point shooter in the league. He's shooting 40-some percent. And he was tremendous to begin the year, and he has since tailed off. I think a lot of Bucks fans still think of him as that 40% shooter. That hasn't been him. It's very similar to Yasmani Grandal last year for the Brewers, where he was hitting home runs left and right for the first half of the season, and Mike Moustakis as well, and they really cooled down in the second half, but yet we still considered them these big home run threats. George Hill's really tailed off shooting the three, and I know he had a groin injury, So hopefully he's healthy from that, and hopefully that's the difference. He comes back and he's 40% again. But if George Hill isn't the three-point shooter he was early on in the year, how do the Bucs deal with that? Because you still want George Hill on the floor, but but what is a way that they can get three-point shooting elsewhere if, in fact, George Hill can't return to his his early season form? Yeah, so I think, you know, one of the best things about the Bucs is that they are really deep and they have a lot of options. You know, they have 10, 11 guys who are, NBA caliber rotational players. And so if George Hill, you know, cause he's leading the league with knocking down 48% of his threes, but since January, like 24th, he's dropped way down there um, mm-hmm. into the high 20%. So I think, you know, he's, he's had a little bit of a slump here and I think that they have options, you know, blood. So he hasn't been the greatest in the past, but Hopefully, you know, he's bottomed out. I mean, I don't know how much worse he can play in the postseason moving forward, but I think Dante DiVincenzo is somebody that they didn't have last year. Mm-hmm. You know, DiVincenzo isn't nearly the shooter that George Hill is, but he does enough to keep defenders honest at the three-point line, and he's such a great slasher to the bucket that he knows how to, you know, move off ball and get those shots, even if he can't just stand at the three-point line and knock shots down. Um, so I think, you know, they have a couple of different options there. I also think... I also wonder if George Hill will refine his stroke. You know, I don't I have no idea. Nobody has any idea how players are going to come back after this four-month layoff or what, however long it's been. Um, in the past, when there's been, you know, lockouts and things like that, offenses across the board have struggled, you know, and defenses have reigned supreme. So I think that'll be interesting to see. The good news is the Bucks have plenty of options there one of, if not the deepest team in the NBA. And so I think they could really go a number of different directions to try to find that right combination of players who are knocking down their shots and doing what the Bucks need. Well, if defense is going to reign supreme in this, you know, Disney bubble in 2020, it's good for the Bucks as well because they're an excellent defensive team with lots of options. I, Brian, I want to ask you one more thing. And like I said, I, we're not talking about Giannis, and he's the most important player. But I, I want to talk about Brooke Lopez really, really briefly because I think one of Coach Bud's flaws last year in the postseason, I think he had a few, he was a little bit rigid, but he also really struggled when Brooke Lopez was played off the floor. And I know in game one against the Raptors, Brooke, Lo- Brooke Lopez is the reason they won that game. He was unconscious. He was great. And Nick Nurse made adjustments and made it really difficult for Brooke Lopez to, to be on the floor. And I don't think Bud adjusted quick enough. I think the Celtics are a really good candidate to go small, try to play Brooke off the floor. 
I don't think the Sixers will do it just because that takes him beat off the floor, but the Raptors could do it. Uh, I, like, what happens this year in the postseason? If teams try to go small, uh, naturally, I hope Bud is able to take Lopez off the floor. They tried a lot more Giannis at center lineups this season. What would a small Bucks lineup look like? Like, how is Bud going to adjust, hopefully, this year, when last year he maybe didn't do such a good job? Yeah, so last year, I mean, they had to go with Ersan Ilyasova um, or Nikola Mirotic at the five. That would be part of their downsizing lineup. You know, they didn't really have another backup center behind Brooke Lopez. So I think that's something that people forget. And Mirotic, he couldn't hit the broadside of a barn last uh-huh. year. When, whenever, Whatever happened when he came to Milwaukee, you know, he's a great shooter. That's not the type of player that he is. But when he came to Milwaukee, he couldn't do anything. And so the Bucks, you know, they thought they had a couple of options. Those options didn't turn out. So this year, yeah, you mentioned Giannis at center lineups. I think that'll be huge. The Bucks and Budenholzer went to that twice as much in the regular season this year than they did last year, and they mm-hmm. had fewer games, obviously, because the season was shortened. So I think that's definitely an option. And, and if Giannis goes to center, I mean, they could put, my guess would be Marvin Williams, also a new addition. I, I think they'd put him at the four. He's more agile than Ursan. You know, he can guard some of those quicker, smaller fours, and then they could go Middleton, at the three, they could go Matthews after that, and then George Hill, Eric Bledsoe, DiVincenzo. You know, they have a number of different options. And I think even if they wanted to go super small, they could go Giannis, Chris Middleton at the four, and then Wes Matthews, George Hill, Eric Bledsoe, or something like that. So I think that's the best part, and it'll be interesting to see. You know, Budenholzer has admitted that he was slow to react and to adjust last year, and so it'll be interesting to see if he makes quicker adjustments this time around. I can't wait. I can't wait for the Bucks to come back. I love the Kings. I can't wait to see what they do. I can't wait to watch the Nets. Michael Beasley's on the Nets now. That is amazing. <laughs> if there's a silver lining in 2020, that that is it. It's what the Nets are putting together. So, Brian, I appreciate you. Enjoy the NBA when it comes back. And, look, I've been telling all my Bucks guests this. When they win a championship, we're just going to do nothing but for two weeks straight have just Bucks guests on. And we're not even really going to analyze anything. We're just going to gloat. So just mark that in your calendar for when the Bucks win the chip. We're going to have to have a gloat sesh on the air. So I I look forward to that. Thanks, Brian. I'm down. Yeah, thank you for having me. Yeah, have a good one. That's Bucks Film Room. Brian Sampson. You can find him on Twitter. And and I would follow him on Twitter. Bucks Film Room. When the Bucks are playing, he's always tweeting clips, examples of strategies, and it makes you a smarter Bucks fan. And he's also always writing at Brewhoop and with Forbes.com. And he takes a little bit of a different approach. Very statistics-based, very analytics-based. Makes you a smarter basketball fan. So I appreciate him. When we come back... I want to get back to college football because I got some things to say. Big Ten announced that they're nixing the non-conference portion of their schedule in 2020. ACC looks like they're going to do the same thing. This is the first of many decisions and many moves to come. I want to continue to talk about the biggest news of the day coming up next as we wrap up the Wisco Sports Show. Final segment of the Wisco Sports Show. Thanks for hanging out. My name is Grant Bills. Just cruising Twitter and checking things out over the last break. If I'm seeing this correctly, Lacrosse County, yep, as of 3 p.m. July 9th, nine new cases. Okay, I, I'm, I'm not trying to be all sunshine and roses because we're living in a pandemic and we got to take it very seriously and we need to understand what we're up against. But I, I like seeing single digits. I think it's okay to, to say that's we're doing a good job. Like, I think when cases got up into the high 20s, we got a little freaked out, started taking things seriously, and and I think the results have, have shown the last couple of days. Let's keep it up. Nine cases is nine more than we want, but it's a lot better than where we were two weeks ago. 
Go to WKTYsports.com, click on Win Stuff. We're giving away a four-pack of tickets to the Lacrosse Speedway. And those tickets come with food, come with drink. It should be a, a blast of a night and a lot of fun and a good way to hang out outside, but also, like, go do something, like, to see an event, to see other people, but also while remaining socially distant. So go to WKTYsports.com or use our mobile app. Just click on Win Stuff and you can get signed up. It just takes a couple of seconds. Biggest news of the day today is the NCAA, or more specifically the Big Ten, announcing that they're not going to play the non-conference portion of their season, which for the Badgers is only three games. It's only three weeks, and it's scattered throughout the first month and a half of their season. So it's going to take some sliding, some moving around. I I just don't want to act naive in all of this, right? I don't want to spend the final 10 minutes of my show saying, well, here's what they'll do. They'll they'll get rid of the Southern Illinois game and the Appalachian State game, and then they'll move the Indiana game down, and they'll move Michigan to when they would have played Notre Dame on October 3rd. Like, that's, I, I don't think that's going to end up happening. Like we could we could spend all our time and energy figuring out how to arrange only 10 games and, and push it back late enough to where the, the, the athletic departments get their ducks in a row, but pushing it not too late to where we're concerned about a second wave, even though a second wave to me right now is a load of BS because we're still very much in the middle of our first wave. I don't think we can I don't think we can talk about a second wave yet. Just like I I don't think we can talk about fans being in the stands until we actually successfully bring sports back. We're I, I don't want to get our priorities all out of whack. I think our priorities are already out of whack in 2020. I don't want to make it worse. Right? We have six minutes of the show left. I don't want to spend these six minutes trying to play Tetris with the Badgers schedule and make it work because to be quite honest, this is the first announcement. Like, I know we want to think, okay, good. Well, I can live with, with no non-conference games, but I, 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 we got to have the, the Minnesota game. We got to have the Michigan game. No, 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 no. Like, read the tea leaves. I don't think there's going to be college football this year. We need to start accepting that reality. We need to prepare ourselves for the idea that we're not going to have football to watch on Saturdays. We, we might need to prepare for the reality we won't have football on Sundays either. Now, the NFL has a lot fewer obstacles than college football. And I've said this a hundred times. College has got to deal with class, tutors, other students. People live in six-bedroom apartments and houses, right? They're going to bars. They're going to parties. College is a lot more than sports, right? The NFL, that's just sport. You don't have to worry about classes and professors. and You can just worry about football. And those players are compensated far greater. Well, they're compensated, period. And I know college football players get scholarships. They're compensated in different ways. But it's a lot easier to tell... Brock Holt, for example, who is set to make $2.5 million this year, right? He has a lot more motivation to quarantine himself and to stay away from his family for two months. He has a lot more motivation to to do so than a college kid. It's like, well, yeah, you're still under scholarship, even though you can't really go to class and you can't really enjoy college life. But please stay quarantined. Like, why would that kid listen? Kid's not getting a college experience. Why should he quarantine himself? I, I understand completely. College football is going to have a lot of obstacles to clear. The biggest one is going to be money. I see everywhere on social media, and I hear people saying, well, these colleges have huge endowments, right? Harvard has a $40 billion endowment. That's, you can't dip into that for athletics, right? Endowments exist over decades and decades and decades. They're an investment strategy that's grown slowly, and endowments are used to perpetuate gifts that are given by donors. If a doctor and an alumni of Harvard donates a million dollars, Harvard's going to take that million and invest it in perpetuity to make sure that that gift is used every single year for the time, for, you know, for the near future, not just once for one student. That would be an incredibly inefficient way to use money. Harvard can't dip into their endowment to make sure sports happen. And why would they? Sports aren't that important to the Ivy League. Stanford can't dip into its endowment to make sure rowing happens. It's not a discretionary fund to be spent as the college wants. 
That money is earmarked for very specific reasons. College athletic departments are strapped for cash without March Madness happening this spring, and they're already not going to have fans in the stands. Like I, I, don't, I don't care what you think. I don't care what you've heard. There are not going to be fans at NFL games. There are not going to be fans at MLB or NBA games. It's not happening. Think of how backwards that is. We have yet to successfully put kids in school. We can't get kids back in schools yet. Let alone put a baseball game on the television. And you want to talk about putting fans in the stands? We got a lot of boxes to check before we can get there. So athletic departments are already going to be strapped for cash for March Madness from the lack of fans. I, I could see very realistically Barry Alvarez saying, you know what? It's not in our best interest to pay for everyday testing for every single one of our student athletes. Just not an efficient use of money. It's not an efficient way to get back to normal. Prepare yourself for the reality that we're not going to have college football. I don't think we're going to have college football. I reached out to a couple of our friends at The Zone, our sister station in Madison, who are a lot more plugged in than me and have seen a lot more. They've seen the college football process over and over and over again over the years. They report on it. They follow the team. They have sources. They know. I don't think we're going to have college football. So the question then becomes, how do you deal with eligibility? How do you deal with a player like Trevor Lawrence, who's supposed to get drafted to go into the NFL next year? Is he just going to be able to enter the draft despite not playing a senior season? What about players who have grinded for four years now through injuries? They've won roster battles to finally get a chance to compete, and you're just going to tell them to to pound sand? A lot of questions that need to be figured out by college athletic departments and by people like Barry Alvarez over the next couple of weeks. This is only the first bit of news. This is not going to stop here. Fingers crossed they play, but I would be surprised. We'll continue this discussion tomorrow, and I'm sure we'll have more news by tomorrow at 5 o'clock. Talk to you same time, same place tomorrow. Be here. Talk to you then.